Welcome to the Water Walkers podcast. Every Christ follower experiences moments like Peter when Jesus called him out of the boat to walk on the water. This podcast can encourage other leaders to follow the voice of Jesus as Peter did. Today, I'm excited to introduce Arkansas State Representative Brant Smith. Brant's life is quite a story, and I have to read it from my notes just to make sure that I don't leave anything out. He's been a missionary to East Asia and the Middle East. He completed two tours with the United States Army on a human terrain team in Iraq. Brant has been an associate professor with the American Military University in the School of Security and Global Studies and an associate professor at Liberty University's online school of business. He and his wife have been married for 42 years this January. Brant was elected to the Arkansas House of Representatives in 2015, where he has served for the last eight years. Anyone can look back on Brant's life and see a common theme of service as a missionary overseas, or as a soldier or professor, or as an elected representative. He has served on the Joint Performance Review Committee, the House Committee on Agriculture, Forestry, and Economic Development, and as the Vice Chairperson of the House Judiciary Committee. I first met Brent at the Arkansas State Capitol about six years ago, and I can't say I've met anyone quite like him, maybe apart from his wife. I learn so much whenever I'm with him, so sit back, listen, and learn with me today. Well, welcome, Representative Brent Smith. I so appreciate having you on the podcast today, and I did mention in the intro that I learn a lot every time I get to have a conversation with you. So I'm excited, even for myself, just to be encouraged and to learn uh, from your experience, from your story, and uh, the example that you've set for many leaders who are coming after you. So thank you so much for being on today. It's just great to see you. Well, thank you, Logan. It's a privilege to be here. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, I am down here at the Capitol in our our apartment. Uh, doing my day job, which is uh, an associate professor at Liberty University in their online programs. And so uh, part of what I do away from politics is I'm preparing the next generation of business leaders uh, to impact their circle of influence with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, it frees me up to just speak truth from the Word of God into these doctoral students and then several doctoral candidates. And so um, it's it's a dream job for for me to be able to be free to share my faith openly with students from all around the world. That's so exciting. And I'm sure, yeah, it keeps you busy. But that that. Again, something we're excited to just get to uh, get to learn from in our conversation even here today. But the icebreaker question uh, that we just used to get started that we selected for today is, what animal do you most identify with and why? Well, I'm going to default to, and I, I agree, over the years I've seen myself in this, this animal. Uh, their behavior, but my wife identifies me as a bulldog. All right. <laughs> Probably an English bulldog, but uh, the reason that we that I can identify with that designation is when it comes to politics, running good, solid 
bills that really edified the people of the state of Arkansas, protecting our traditional values and biblical values. One has to be a bulldog. Yeah. Because there are there are people coming at me and those other legislators that hold the same values I hold from every direction. Right. And so if you don't dig your heels in or your paws in and, and just really hold your ground, the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know, That's he's right. driven by the wind and tossed by the waves. And uh, there's no room for that if you're going to be that godly uh, leader, even in the political world. Yeah. Oh, that's a great answer. And yeah, a story that we've seen over and over with representatives in Arkansas. Thankfully, there's a good number of good representatives who really do stand their ground. And so you've been a great example of that as well. Uh, that's a great answer. I love that your your wife had that had that answer of the bulldog. So uh, that's 42 years. You said 42 years this January you'll been married. Correct. Oh, that's exciting. Congratulations. I believe well, uh, our anniversaries are just one day apart. So y'all are y'all are quite a ways ahead of us, though. So thank you for that. Well, the neat thing about my uh, love for my wife is I only knew her six days and I asked her to marry me and she said yes. Really? She, she was under some rules for a summer mission trip to Colorado and uh, she couldn't date. That was hard. They focused on your mission. Don't date. Yeah. So after six days, Logan, I asked her, are there any rules about getting engaged? And she said, no. (laughs) So we've our dating since we got married. Right. Uh, Wow. And for 42 years strong. Yeah, 42 years. See, and that's an incredible thing about your story is you've gone through as a missionary, you've had different chapters of being a missionary, a soldier, a now professor and elected representative that you've been the last eight years. And uh, I did get to give a quick overview in the intro. I don't feel like I get to quite do justice with just the introduction. So I wondered if you could maybe lay out some of that timeline of kind of what a little bit more of your story of what those different chapters have looked like and when those happen. Okay. Well, beginning back in 1979, I was a 20-year-old college student and a missionary from the state of Arkansas serving on the island of Mindanao in the Philippines invited me to come spend the summer with him. Now, Calvin was a church planter, but he used agriculture as a door opener to get into these barrios, these villages, and Uh, interact with the local nationals. And uh, his favorite song was, We'll Work Till Jesus Comes. And after about a month of that, I said, Calvin, I just need one day off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because he was so excited about his ministry. And I caught that same excitement. And it set the tone for my whole life. And uh Years later, Gail and I were invited to go to Guatemala on a partnership mission trip together. The first time we had done uh, a mission trip together. And uh, when we got back to our church that we were serving, 
we informed the congregation that we were going to uh, reach out to the mission board, international mission board, and seek appointment. And uh, that's what we did. And so after, I think, three or four years of seminary and also pastoring full time, uh, they packed us up and sent us off to the mission field. And uh, not every day was a real stellar day in our lives as we learned language and how to shop for food in the open markets. Um, even having one home birth uh, because yeah. the hospitals were so deplorable at the time. Gayla, she said, if you want to, if you want to have another baby or if we're going to have this child in country, we're going to have it at home. So right. she, she gave birth at home to a little girl that's now uh, a mother on her own. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, no, we we served in Taiwan. We served, uh, lived in northern Thailand so we could work in what we tend to call the big country. And yeah. uh Worked with uh, an unreached people group known as the Wa or Kawa people. They're former headhunters, and uh, wow. they were the number two, or maybe still are the number two opium producers in the world next to Afghanistan. Wow. And God blessed us and used us. We saw hundreds of house churches started. We saw, uh, I worked with a lot of local national evangelists and training them and church planters in that Burma-China uh, border area for quite a number of years. And um, I did so much walking that I had to quit wearing cowboy boots because my leg muscles just <laughs> blew up. Yeah. <laughs> the local which means turnip legs because they were so <laughs> muscular at the time. But uh, wow. God was good. Gala worked mostly with the house church and uh, I worked with the unreached people group and uh, we were able to coordinate uh, the house church seminary students with practical missions by training and then sending them into the areas where we had initiated contact and prayer walking and uh, wow. medical clinics, uh, education programs. But everything that we did really led to people hearing the gospel and responding. And uh, I think one, one month we saw and got reports of over 1,600 baptisms. People had wow. come to faith in Christ. And, uh, it was just uh, what some people call a church planting movement, and uh, we got to be a part of that. So it was uh, some of the neatest times of our life. Yeah, that's remarkable. And then into the United States military. Well, after we uh, left the big country, we were— I was approached by Dr. Avery Willis. He is he was at that time vice president at the International Mission Board. Oh, yeah. Also the author of Master Life uh, and all of those discipleship materials. And we were on a stateside assignment 
and he said, uh, I got him to come to our church. And uh, because we had such a great friendship and he's an Arkansan at the time, too, and uh, living over in Bella Vista. So I had him come to our church. My pastor agreed and Avery came. And uh, while we were while he was in Jonesboro, he said, hey, I'm planning a trip to the Middle East. Why don't you go with me and help me provide some training from Ken Blanchard's material situational leadership? Two yeah. and uh, lead like Jesus, and I said, you know what? If my pastor agrees, I'll do that. And uh, so I wound up in the Middle East, and uh, in a country that I just, I thought there's no way anybody would want to come here. They're in the middle of a war. Yeah. And Logan, lo and behold, that's exactly where God put us. Wow. Uh, running an NGO, and. Uh, me as country leader for our our work and wow. after well and after two years we were evacuated out we lived in the in the red zone outside the safety of the green zone and so everything the local nationals experienced no water no electricity gun gun battles on their streets uh suicide bombers we we experienced that for two years and so eventually the company invited, uh, well, not invited. They told us we have to evacuate. Yeah. So they, they took us to uh, Amman, Jordan. Uh, yep. Amber, um, she was just 14 years old and lived with us. And yeah. it was so traumatizing. Uh, she needed some serious counseling and some, you know, help. And uh, so long story short, we eventually made it back to Arkansas, and uh, yeah. I got a call from a uh, friend that had been the head bodyguard or security guard for the interim prime minister, Dr. Alawi, and uh, yeah. we had we had shared meals, we had gotten close. His Dr. Alawi's office was right next to our business office we shared a wall so his security team constantly were floating in and out to make sure nobody was sabotaging through explosives that wall wow. and so after we got home uh, i get a call one day from mark and he said hey i've got an opportunity for you we'll provide training and uh, but we need you to go back to Iraq and work with us. Really? And uh, I told Mark at the time he's the one that made the movie about Twelve Strong. If you've seen mm -hmm. it, and wow. uh, so I told Mark, I said, Mark, I'll pray about it. And it took him off guard a little bit because majors and colonels are not used to someone saying, "I'll pray about it," yeah. but. <laughs> that has been the mark of my life and so mm. after a few days i called him back and i said tell me what you want me to do and i'll do it so i wound up at fort leavenworth uh, and i thought i was going as a contractor but after six months of training at irwin benning and leavenworth i was back in iraq uh first kuwait then iraq and uh during that first 45 days, uh, 
I was out on missions almost every day of the week, collecting information, intelligence, started providing uh, briefings for uh, the brigade and battalion commanders. And Logan, the unique thing was at day 45, a colonel walked into our, our container. We had an office basically like a container uh, yeah. that you would going up and down the highways. And right. uh, he said, hey, Dr. Smith, if you want to stay in Iraq, you've got to raise your right hand and swear in because <laughs> you we can't provide the medical care that you may need in the event mm. that something goes horribly wrong. Wow. So he gave me the night to think about it, pray over it. And the next morning he showed up and I said, I want to stay. I believe God wants me here. All right. So I raised my right hand and swore in and he said, hey, do you, you're now a GS-15 step one. And I said, he said, do you know what that is? And I said, not really. I've always been a missionary. Yeah. He said, well, <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> so, okay. Anyway, that, that took me through uh, two deployments as an embedded senior social scientist, uh, collecting, analyzing, uh, even serving as a team leader of uh, other uh, Department of Army civilians and uh, U.S. soldiers. I was the highest pay grade or ranking member, and so I was a team leader as well and uh, still have contact with most of my teams that I led during those years in Iraq for the wow. Army. Wow. So then how long was the gap between how did you go from there back to Arkansas and running for the House of Representatives? Well, that gap included uh, probably four to five years, probably four years. Uh, I was recommended to teach intelligence courses since that was my role. Yeah. Uh, the Army, I came under the G2, which is the intelligence side of it. And uh, so American Military University had read some articles that I had published in a military journal. Yeah. So they reached out and said, hey, we think we want you to come teach for us. All right. So, well, you know, after a couple of interviews, they welcomed me to the faculty and uh, I taught uh, in the School of Security and Global Studies, they were all Intel courses. Uh, my favorite was uh, the course taught on interrogation methods and practices, really? uh, mainly because when it comes to some of the things that the average citizen thinks happens, uh, they're not always true. Uh, yeah. Waterboarding is, but it's so regimented that I went through it myself just so I would know what am I dealing with and mm. uh, I jokingly told my uh, research manager who was an Iraqi Chaldean Christian uh, from Detroit we served two term two tours together I told Nazar wow. I said if I ever get kidnapped I'm telling them everything that I know about you <laughs> oh no <laughs> It was there was humor out there too in the midst of all the chaos and carnage. Yeah. But 
that's what I did. Even when I was first elected in late uh, November 2014, I was teaching. And uh, these are online courses, so I could work. Uh, yep. Everything from analytics one and two to threat analysis and uh, assessments to uh, just research and writing in that yeah. that specific you know school of of training and thought. But I got elected, and now I've served eight years, and wrapping it up December thirty first. Yeah, wow. With the different chapters of your story and going into some really difficult places, I mean, you've sought to follow the voice of Jesus, even when there have been elements of risk or uncertainty. And, uh, and I know that's, you know, that those can be some difficult decisions to, to really trust in those moments. And so how, for you and for your story, how have you navigated that? Does that feel like something you've grown stronger in or, or what really saw you through when, when it, I mean, really, it was, it was quite dangerous. Well, every place that Gayla and I have served uh, has had a risk factor, uh, a component of risk and danger. Yeah. But being reared in a Christian home, my father and my mother taught me early that I could trust Jesus Christ. I could trust God for my present, my present circumstances, and I could trust him for my future. And so I think over the years, my faith was built just one brick at a time. And getting back to my initial mission trip with the missionary in the Davao, Philippines, that was the time as a 20-year-old, that I was first introduced to terrorists. They, mm -hmm. uh, they were known as the NPA, New People's Army, and they were everywhere in the southern Philippines. And then later, they have taken the name Abu Sayyaf. And yeah. so they, they are a serious force to be reckoned with. And so over time, it was almost like God just gave me a little, you know, bit here and a little bit there to temper my stress levels, how I cope mm. with stress. But Logan, it always goes back to uh, being in the will of God and following his lead regardless. And I pulled out a, a verse that I use, I keep on my desk at home. You probably can't see it, but I'll read it to you. It says, uh, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans, Proverbs 16.3. Wow. And so I have a strong foundational belief in the power of an almighty God. And when it comes to winning people to Christ by sharing the gospel, I'm really off the hook. If I share, the results belong to the Holy Spirit. Mm. I discovered years ago, if I can save you, I can, I can also lose you. Right. But when Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, brings conviction and comes on people with it, 
it's kind of what we would call theologically as efficacious grace, irresistible yeah. grace. I think, honestly, that that freed me up to just be willing to try anything, go anywhere. And in those early years along the China-Burma border, uh, I was taken into custody by the authorities 23 times. Wow. But And sometimes I would be handcuffed to a chair. Sometimes it was more relaxed. But even in those moments, I never recanted my faith. As a matter of fact, more than once, I would tell these Chinese soldiers, the kingdom of God has come near you today. Mm. And one of them responded, and I'll never forget it. He said, I know. And in his language, it's, what's your Tao? What's your Tao? I know. And then he told me about his Christian mother that had been praying for him for years to come to faith in Christ. Wow. And uh, he took half of the materials I was carrying and then put me on a a little, what we call a minbaucha, a little bus, a little minivan, and uh, sent me off with half of, half of my Jesus films, half of my Bibles in, the, in Chinese. And some other material, and I thought, you know, maybe God just wanted him to take me into custody so I could provide materials for him. Yeah. Because wow. he is what we call a seeker, a mudalyo. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think if we panic because of our circumstances, we may cut short really the ultimate goal and plan of God. Wow. Because a lot of people want to run. But I would always tell these people that when they'd say, why are you here? I would say, I'm here by divine appointment. Right. And Logan, wow. they would all say, what do you mean by that? Well, that, they asked me and I shared the gospel. So that's it in wow. a nutshell. Um, can I share one more scripture? Yes, please do. Okay. Uh, during our time in Iraq in June of 2006, I was reading through the book of Psalms, and I, I came across Psalm 31, verse 21, and the verse said, Blessed be the Lord, for he has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. Wow. And I mean, we're talking checkpoint, machine guns, uh, militias on one corner and government soldiers on the other. And then down the highway a little further would be our guys. Razor wire, burning cars, exploded vehicles from vehicle-borne IADs. And I've got my wife here. And at, uh, in 2006, I had Amber. She was 12. Mm -hmm. And this is our world. And uh, I wow. go back. Did God confirm that we were to be in Iraq? And the answer came back every time, yes. And so every morning we would get up and we would greet the Lord and uh, move through our day, even knowing that 
it could be our last. Mm. And uh, that's how that's, life is in some of these areas. It is. That's remarkable. So do, do you notice through these stories and through these chapters of missions work and working with the military and then as a state representative, do you notice a progression of how those have been threaded together or how Jesus has prepared you through each of those for what you've done in each season or even as a representative for the state of Arkansas? Well, I think there is a natural progression. Uh, I'm more confident, not just in myself and my abilities, but in the God who created me. Yeah. Because, Logan, I, when I first arrived at the Arkansas State Capitol and walked onto the House floor, not once did I think, I don't belong here. Mm. And I remember exactly what I said to the Chinese military that took me into custody. I remembered what I told the strong men in these villages that were spiritually dark. They were animists. Yeah. Even the Muslim clerics and imams that I knew in Iraq, I'm here by divine appointment. Yeah. And when the child of God recognizes that God is not just a puppet master controlling the strings, but when we voluntarily yield our lives for his benefit, the doors fling wide open. Yeah. And that's it's been a progression. The the more I say yes, the more I marvel at the creativity of God that he could use me. Wow. That's beautiful. And uh, something I pray to continue to see true of my life as well. And, uh, you know, thinking of uh, leaders that are emerging and coming up, maybe they're young professionals, maybe some of them are young elected officials or elected representatives. But I'm just thinking, is there, and I know you, you've got classes of students, and it's amazing to see that there are very encouraging signs of uh, leadership that are coming into different spheres that really love the Lord and are really seeking uh, to honor the glory of Jesus. I wonder if there's maybe a uh, a particular story of kingdom impact. Maybe it's something you experienced at the House of Representatives or just a, a particular word that uh, that really stands out to you for uh, just to encourage some of these young leaders as they're starting out, as they're learning to grow in that confidence as they're learning to follow the voice of Jesus, sometimes into difficult, risky situations. But what would be maybe a good story or a good a good message to leave them with just to encourage them as an example? Okay. Well, first of all, this is, this is my Bible. And it's falling apart. I've carried it for years, but my notes are in it. I would encourage emerging leaders or even present-day leaders, stay in the Word of God. There's so much wisdom in this book that you'll never get from reading other business-related material. As good as maybe the Harvard Business Review is journal, this book has more wisdom in it than we can really talk about 
in a year. And yeah. so I, I discovered staying in the Word of God and asking God through prayer, just like James, our Lord's half-brother, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. I think emerging leaders, political leaders that are followers of Jesus, not closet Christians, right, but out in front leading with their faith, not not just wearing it on their sleeve and using it maybe to get a vote or or something, but what's in here will surface. And mm-hmm. so I've tried to model that at the Capitol across the street here for eight years. And the thing that really impressed upon me that I needed to do was be willing to engage my colleague because the average individual in our state doesn't think that senators and House members, representatives have problems. Right. We all have problems. And so as your influence grows, come alongside and encourage these colleagues and these business uh, partnerships. And I've, I've stopped right in the middle of a busy, hectic day in the halls here and said, can I pray for you right now? And I've never had anybody tell me no. And I'm talking about not only Republicans, but Democrats. Right. We can be miles apart on policy. But my faith demands that I engage and seek a relationship. And and that's what I've tried to do. Now, I'm a bulldog, as we mentioned. I'll go toe-to-toe on policy. But it doesn't cost me anything to be kind Mm. to people that I even disagree with. Yeah. So... And in the business world, there's a lot of takeovers, hostile takeovers. There's a lot of ethic, ethical issues that surface from time to time. And I also tell my doctoral students and candidates, if you ever violate your ethics, your code of ethics or your company's code of ethics one time, it's hard to reel that back in. Yeah that you set a precedent that mm-hmm. you can you can either look the other way or you'll just disregard something an issue and before long you've lost your influence and that's what good leaders they may have the position but do they have the influence to lead it's critical yes mm-hmm. that's a good word well I'm so thankful again for just the, your time to open up and share some more of your story and and some of these just words of wisdom. Like you said, a well a well worn Bible is a good sign, and uh, and so I've greatly appreciated uh, both this time, but also just your example that you've set over the six years that I've known you. 
uh, the bit of times that we've been together at the Capitol and, and just seeing you at work and seeing how your story continues uh, is something that I'm so encouraged by. So again, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Please visit ServantLeaderNetwork.org to find more helpful resources for your leadership journey and always bring your water walking shoes. <laughs>